Now turn with me tonight in your Bible to the prophecy of Ezekiel. I want to read Ezekiel chapter 17, at least in part. Ezekiel chapter 17. We're going to commence reading at verse 1, right down to verse 12. And then we'll read a little towards the end of the chapter. Ezekiel chapter 17, if you find the place, we'll read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized verse. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, A great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had divers colours, came unto Lebanon, and took the highest branch of the cedar. He cropped off the top of his young twigs, and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchant. He took also of the seed of the land, and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters, and set it as a willow tree. And it grew, and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him, and the roots thereof were under him. So it became a vine, and brought forth branches, and shot forth sprigs. There was also another great eagle, with great wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine did bend her roots toward him, and shoot forth her branches toward him that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters, that it might bring forth branches, and that it might bear fruit, that it might be a goodly vine. Say thou, Thus saith the Lord God, Shall it prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof, and cut off the fruit thereof, that it wither? It shall wither in all the leaves of her spring. Even without great power or many people to pluck it up by the roots thereof. Yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither? When the east wind toucheth it, it shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Know ye not what these things mean? Tell them, Behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem, and have taken the king thereof, and the princes thereof, and led them with him to Babylon. And have taken of the king's seed, and made a covenant with him, and have taken an oath of him, he hath also taken the mighty of the land. Now come with me to verse 22. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar, 
and will set it. I will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one and will plant it upon a high mountain and eminent. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it and it shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar and under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing in the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Amen. We know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now my text tonight is taken from Ezekiel chapter 17 verses 22 right through to verse 24. And my theme tonight is really entitled The Parable of the Trees. Now there are three things that I want to set before you this evening. I want you to think first of all of the parable that's emphasized. If you go back in your Bible and look with me at verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle and speak a parable unto the house of Israel and say. We'll stop there. Ezekiel 17 verse 1. Son of man. That's a reference to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon. He's been carried there a captive under King Nebuchadnezzar along with his young wife. Commentators tell us that most likely he was a young man of 25 years of age. At the age of 30 then God sovereignly met with him, saved him, revealed himself unto him and called him to be a preacher and a witness even among the exiles of his day. Now Ezekiel's ministry was largely communicated by a means of a series of visions and you can read those visions in the early chapters. He also used visual images. He, one time he cut off a piece of his own hair and used that as a sermon. And other times he used a, a clay model and pot to uh, convey the word of God. There was also occasions when he used parables. And Ezekiel 17 is really a, a parable. And I'm calling it the parable of the trees. Now, you young people are familiar with the concept of a parable. Parable's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And you're probably familiar with the New Testament use of parables. Parables were especially uttered by the Lord Jesus. And they were all designed by him. He took simple images, things from nature, things from the farming community. And he used them to teach the people in his day about the kingdom of God and about the gospel. And if you want a reference, think of Mark chapter 4 and verse 2. And he taught them many things by parable and said unto them in his doctrine. One of his parables was the parable of the sower. It's interesting. It says in verse 10 of Mark 4, And when he was alone, 
they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. So, so they come to him and say, Lord, tell us the meaning of the parable of the sower. You see, the parable is, remember, a simple story. It's an earthly story, but, but it has a heavenly meaning. And there has to be not only a simplistic aspect to the parable, but there's also a, a sublime aspect. In other words, what does it mean? And he says to them in verse 13, Know ye not this parable? If you don't understand the parable of the sower, how then will you know all parables? And what he did then in verse 14 following, he explained to them the interpretation or the true meaning of the parable. In other words, the uh, sower uh, sowing the seed is the Son of Man. The seed is the Word of God. And the uh, soil in which the seed was sown represents four types of reactions to the Word of God sown and planted. And Ezekiel's parable is the same. There, there's a simplicity to it. It's an earthly story. And in this earthly story, there's two great eagles, and they land on trees. And they all relate to the earthly kings of Judah, and the coming of the one true king of Israel, named the Messiah, in the passage of time. But here's the point tonight. Ezekiel uses a parable. That much is clear. And it's an earthly story to tell a truth, a very sublime truth. If you think back to Mark chapter 4, if we stick with Mark 4, the Lord Jesus, as he continued with the parables, said this in Mark chapter 4, whenever he was thinking about the kingdom of God, he said in verse 30, where. Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? In other words, the parable is used to compare something. Something earthly. There's a comparison between the earthly story and to a special eternal truth. If you look again at our text in Ezekiel chapter 17, look with me at verse 2. Son of man, put forth a riddle and speak a parable unto the house of Israel. Do you see the connection? Here's an additional feature. Put forth a riddle. What does that mean? <coughs> that means a puzzle. A puzzle is designed to stimulate your attention, to, to whet the appetite. The, the intellect, to, to, to sharpen you. Now, most people love puzzles. But when you get a puzzle, you have to think about it. You have to work on it a little bit. You have to use your, your conscious thought. And I have to tell you tonight that there are puzzles in the Bible. There's things in the Bible hard to understand. And they're there by divine intention. They're there by purpose. Not everything in the Bible is easily understood. There are things hard to understand. It's not what Peter wrote about, referring to some things in Paul's epistle over there in Second Peter 
chapter 3, isn't it, in the verse um, 16, uh, whenever he, he said this, And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of those things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Peter spoke about his Paul as, as the beloved brother Paul. And, and he's telling us here that even when Peter read some of the things in Paul's epistle, there were things that he found hard to understand. You see, there are um, places in the Bible where the language is plain and is pointed, and you get the meaning straight away. John 3 and 16, for example, there's the gospel in a nutshell, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And ungodly men can get the hold of the message, and, they, and it's there, and it's plain, and they know what it means, and they're not left in any doubt. But there are times, and there are places when there's things in the Bible hard to understand. And God here is putting forth through Ezekiel not only a parable, but with the parable comes a riddle. Why does he do that? And I believe the answer is very simple. So that we will not to stop reading it. So that we'll not stop to striving to understand what we're reading. So that we'll come back to what's written in the Bible again and again. So that we'll think about it. So that we'll pray over it. So, so that we'll strive to grasp it. So that we'll cry unto the Lord to give us wisdom and insight. Lord, what does it mean? The Reverend George Mueller was a great man of God, a man of prayer. A man, of course, who looked after a number of orphanages in the 19th century. Did you know that he prayed in? without asking for a penny, more than a million pounds. He never made an appeal, but he got over a more of a million pounds in his day and generation. He believed that when he needed wisdom, he went to God, because God said, if any man lacked wisdom, let him ask of God. And when he was unsure and full of doubt and worry about what to do, he went to God and he cried unto him for wisdom. But they also said this, he encouraged those who were around him to read the hard chapters of the Bible a hundred times. Now I remember when in 1992, 93, being the ministerial assistant in Lisbon, Dr. Douglas preaching a series of messages on Ezekiel and he encouraged uh, those of us who were there to, to read the hard things to understand at least ten times. George Miller said a hundred. It's true, young people, when we read the Bible, there's things we can't understand. There's things we, we can't get the grips with. And whether that's true of a verse or true of a chapter or, or true of a book. But let's pause. Let's not just close the book, throw it away. Let's remember the book's no ordinary book. It's God's book. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And therefore we read God's book carefully. And we read it prayerfully. We come with the mindset, Lord, teach me. Isn't that a prayer that, that David prayed? Teach me. Lord, give me a teachable spirit. And, and let's pray as we, we read that we might see Christ. 
look for him because the Bible is Christocentric. And, and let's read even the puzzling parts, the, the parts that's hard to understand. Let's strive to get into the meaning. Let's talk to the Lord and ask him to open up even those obscure things, things that are, are puzzling and perplexing to us. You see, if you link this up tonight, come from Ezekiel 17 right through to verse 12. Remember those disciples? They asked the Lord Jesus, what does the parable of the sower mean? And he explained it. Well, look what God does. He just doesn't let Ezekiel give a parable. And with the parable, add in this little riddle, this, this puzzling bit. But notice what he does in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Say now to the rebellious house. He's addressing Judah. <coughs> know ye not what these things mean? See, they're thinking, we don't understand a word what you're talking about, preacher. Look at verse 12. Tell them. Behold, the king of Babylon has come to Jerusalem and has taken the king thereof and the princes thereof and led him or them with him to Babylon. See, there's the interpretation. And it's coming to the fore. And it's been made plain by the Lord. So, so there's the, 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 the uh, parable that has been emphasized. I, I want you to think secondly and very quickly. The parable explained. If you look from verse 3 and 4. You've got there a word about the past. 17 and 3 refers to a great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers and diverse colours, came unto Lebanon, took the highest branch of cedar. Verse 4, he cropped off the top of his young twigs and carried it into the land of traffic. He set it in the city of merchants. Now, now what's that about? It's a reference to the past. The eagle is the king of birds. We could talk tonight about the great eagle. It says here, a great eagle with great wings. And it applies and refers to the great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And the reference to great wings is a reference to his armed forces, to the um, multiplicity of his army. And the long-winged is a reference to the wide extent of his empire. And the reference to full of feathers is a reference to the many people that serve us under Nebuchadnezzar. They uh, have been brought under his rule. They're, they're acting as tributaries to King Nebuchadnezzar and you've got a reference to diverse colours and that's the wide variety of languages and peoples and customs and habits that are all now subject to the king of Babylon and we're told he's come unto Lebanon now if you link it up with verse 12 it says behold the king of Babylon has come to Jerusalem you see the Jews oftentimes referred to the temple in Jerusalem as Lebanon and the reason for that was that 
there was a multitude of the cedars of Lebanon used to build the temple. And um, Isaiah 2 and verse 2 talks about the mountain of the Lord's house and it's called Lebanon. But but it's a sort of a, uh, we would say, a code name for Jerusalem. But but Jerusalem is, is meant. And, and it says here, and took the highest branch of the cedar. Now, now that's a reference to, to King um, Jeconiah. He was 18 years old. And he was carried off to Babylon. And many of the chief people with him were also carried to Babylon. There's the reference there. He cropped off the top of his young twigs. In other words, he cut off his kingship, carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in the city of Merchants. That, that's a reference to Babylon. A place where there's lots of trade. A, a place of commerce. Now, now here's a reference to what God did in the past. And Ezekiel is a witness to this. That's about the transportation of the king, Jeconiah, and what has happened to him and those with him. Now I want you to see there's a word about the present. It says in verse 5, and we're going to look at verse 5 right through to verse 21, You've got a word about the present. He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. This is a reference to something else that Nebuchadnezzar did. This is a reference to another king of Judah, King Zedekiah. After uh, Jeconiah, uh, Zedekiah became king. And he did a very foolish thing. He rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And what Nebuchadnezzar did, he brought his army back to Jerusalem. And that time he destroyed the city. He tore down the walls. He burnt the gates with fire. He ransacked and torched the temple. He carried all its furnishing and fining, all the gold and all, away. And you see, what had happened was that Zedekiah, he had asked Pharaoh for support. And you can read that in this uh, chapter. He, he, he said uh, to, to Pharaoh to, to come with your chariots and your horses and help me wage war against Nebuchadnezzar. But as Jeremiah, who was also a contemporary of this time, he knew that there was no help in Egypt. In fact, he says that in Jeremiah 8 and verse 20. Don't be looking to Egypt for help. Because you're going to get no help in Egypt. Zedekiah made a mistake. This is what his mistake was. He left the Lord out. He took his eyes of the Lord. He broke his oath. He used the name of the Lord to make an oath with Nebuchadnezzar. And then he broke it. Isn't the central message of the Bible? I've said this to the young people in the past. The central message of the Bible is abundantly clear. It stands as a testimony to us. It says this, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. In a time of crisis, when you're in a difficult set of circumstances, what do you need to do? You need to repent. You need to get before the Lord. You need to cry unto him. You, You need to bring him right into the picture. Not, not, not to leave him out, 
but, but to, to invite him in. And he will have mercy upon you. Zedekiah looked away from the Lord. He looked to Egypt. He looked to the world for help. And how many are doing exactly the same thing in our day and in our uh, generation? Here was the king, a second king, Zedekiah. The mighty man with him. He's in office. But God said he had to go. No matter how important he was, he had to be moved. You see, it was the Lord that was bringing this man down. Because the Lord is all-powerful. The Lord is sovereign. Zedekiah should have learned the lesson that he can't fight against God and win. And the moment he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, the legitimate government, and broke his oath, having invoked the name of the Lord, he was despising God's covenant. And God says in this chapter, how dare he bring my name into it? Of course, it's not just a little reminder. Don't take the name of the Lord lightly. Don't profane God's name. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So there's a word here about the present. And Ezekiel was alive. And Ezekiel was carried captive at this exact moment, along with Zedekiah and the others. He knew what had happened in the past. And now he is experiencing it in the present. And also here, if you look at the chapter, there's a word about the future. Come with me now to verse 22. It says, Thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar. Now, now notice the words, the highest branch. Now that's very important. And will set it. I will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one. And will plant it upon a high mountain and eminent. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it. And I, it shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. And under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing. In the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. You see, this is a reference to Messiah. When the land of Israel seems beyond the point of recovery, when there's no hope now, the Messiah, Jehovah himself, will unexpectedly appear. And he will come as the Redeemer of the people. And if you think of the words in verse 21, it says in the end, and ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. It says in verse 24, I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Add into the words, thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar. And remember the Lord Jesus is called the branch in the Bible. You see, God's word's important, young people. God's word will be fulfilled. God's word will never be broken. In fact, the Lord Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. God is going to do as he promised. And here's the good news. Here's the message. The Messiah has already come. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And the Lord Jesus is the righteous branch. He's a royal branch. 
brings us to the person and work of Christ. It's a word about the future. Ezekiel saying, this is what God is going to do in the future. And he's going to do it in the land of Israel for his people. That's the parable explained. Notice something else. This is maybe a message on its own, but I, I, I bring it anyway. The parable that's exemplified. If you look at verse 24, it says, And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree. We'll, we'll pause there. That's a reference to Nebuchadnezzar. The high tree is a reference in the Bible or a type of every proud sinner. And the best example of the high tree is in Daniel 4 because Nebuchadnezzar is described like a high tree. Daniel 4 verses 10 to 12. And Nebuchadnezzar is a proud sinner. And the sinner is pictured as a high tree being lofty and fruitful and, and fair to behold, and many are influenced by it. There's no doubt to its meaning. You know what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar? The tree is thy, O king. Daniel 4 and 22. You're the proud sinner. Isn't there so many proud sinners in Northern Ireland tonight? Their mindset is that there's no God. He doesn't exist. That God's not their creator and maker. There's no accountability to him or responsibility to him. That they don't believe the Bible to be infallible and errant word of God. That, that the Bible, God's word, is, is scoffed at. That many would doubt and deny that they're, they're a sinner, even though the, the Bible tells us, he that saith he has no sin, deceiveth himself. Remember Pharaoh, Exodus 5 and 2, who is the Lord, that, that, that I should obey him. And, and no doubt these proud sinners have their own rules and their own commandments and, and their own sense of morality. And they've rejected God's rules, God's commandments, God's morality. And, and we can see it before our eyes. You think about adultery. Think about murder. Think about abortion. Think about the push for same-sex marriage. Think about the... the, the uh, Sanctity of the Lord's Day. Think about the attitude of the so-called professing Protestant Christian church, even to the news that, that, that Antichrist should be coming our shores in, in the month of August. And so little has been said. Why? Are we guilty of being proud in heart? Proud in mind. Look at what the Lord says. I have brought down the highest tree. And it's interesting that the, the Lord intervened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And the Lord brought him down and exposed his life of arrogancy. Let me give you a little illustration here. There are a story told of two Russian ships and they were in the Black Sea and they were coming into the docks it was foggy, it was bad weather, very cold, but Baltic, probably like tonight, maybe even worse. And those two ships collided. They hit other, and there was a loss of life. Sailors were lost, passengers were lost, and the two captains, they knew of each other's presence, but they would not give way. You see, God hates the sin of pride. And those two captains had, had pride in their heart. And remember, 
the Bible says, six things doth God hate, yea, seven are an abomination in his sight. And what's the first one? A proud look or, or haughty eyes. The proud sinner is called to repent. The proud sinner, by God's power and grace, is made to be low in the dust. Notice something else it says in our text, have exalted the low tree. Doesn't the Bible tell us God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble? This is a reference not to the proud sinner, but to the penitent sinner. And if you read Daniel 4, verses 13 and 14, which I haven't time to turn up, God met with Nebuchadnezzar. There was a watcher and a whaler came to Nebuchadnezzar and, and told them that the, that, that the high tree was going to be hewn down. That the high tree must become a low tree. And of course Nebuchadnezzar repented and over time got right with the Lord and was re-established as king of Babylon. I was thinking of the parable in Luke 18 of the publican and the Pharisee. Remember the proud Pharisee, he, he boasted of what he had and what he had done. He said he, he wasn't like other men. But the publican, he, he got down his knees. He smote in his breast. He wouldn't even look w with uh, eyes toward the mercy seat. And what did he cry? God be merciful to me, the sinner. Being brought to the place where you say, I am nothing and I have nothing and I can do nothing to recommend myself to God. Doesn't the Bible teach he that humbleth himself shall be exalted? You see, here's another tree. And the low tree was exalted. Look at this. And dried up the green tree. That's a reference to, to Christ. To, to the person of Christ and him crucified. Did you know the Lord Jesus likened himself to a, a green tree? Yes, he did. In Luke 23 and verse 31, and I'll read the reference to you. It, it says here, and also, for if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? You see, the green tree is a, a tree with life. A tree that's growing. A, a, a tree that produces fruit. A, a tree that, that, that's, that's <coughs> maybe fair to say beautiful to look at. But then what happens? That tree with life. A tree that's growing, that produces fruit that's beautiful. Well, it's taken and it's cut down. And of course there's a reference to, to Christ's death on the cross and his life of suffering. A living tree cut off. The drying of the green tree, it, it's cut off and left to rot, left to dry out. And of course the Bible teaches that the Lord alone is that dry, or that green tree. And only by his drying up because his drying up is the shedding of his life. And, and, and his life was in his blood. And the Lord Jesus is full of sap. And his sap is for our salvation. And when we go to the cross, what do we learn? In the cutting off and the drying up of the Lord Jesus. That our sins were born in his own body in the tree. That he was wounded for our transgressions. That he was bruised for our iniquities. And he who has eternal life entered into death for his people and suffered it willingly. The drying up of the green tree. Do, do you see the picture there? 
notice this as we finish. And have made the dry tree to flourish. The dry tree to flourish. That's a reference to resurrection. That's a reference to all who, who live in Christ. I, I think of the words as we come to a conclusion in, in the prophecy of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 7 it says, Blessed is the man that trusted in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. It is not tremendous. The man who trusts in the Lord. The dry tree is made to flourish. And it's a reference to Christ and the resurrection. And all who are in Christ. There, there's a flourishing. The people of God are like trees. Trees are planted. Trees are provided for. Trees are made to prosper by the grace and help of God. Do you see yourself like that? Here's the parable being Exemplified. Exemplified in these tree, trees. Which tree best describes you tonight? The proud sinner? Or the penitent sinner? Can you identify in the person of Christ? In that he was dried up as a green tree? Can you identify with the dry tree made to flourish? Because you're in Christ. And you see yourself as a tree of the Lord that's been planted by him. Maybe you're here tonight as we finish and you're burdened, you're full of sorrows. You feel there's no purpose and meaning to your life because of circumstances and difficulties. There's a minister one time and he came along to a friend and he said to the friend, he was greatly burdened. And the friend looked at him and said, well, I don't see any burden about you. You're smiling, your face is glowing. And he says, no, I'm burdened. Because you know what the Bible says? He daily loadeth me with benefit. He was burdened because he was full and conscious of the benefits that God had bestowed upon him. The dry tree can flourish. How? Through Christ and by union with him. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to your understanding. And I trust that he'll open up a little bit of the book of Ezekiel to you tonight.